guys, welcome to episode 27 of Talk Healing to Me. I want to start off by saying thank you to everyone who has been following me on this journey and being loyal listeners and all those of you who have messaged me and let me know that the podcasts have been really helpful for you and I'm so grateful for all the people that this podcast has led me to. I've made so many friends around the world that I would not have met without this podcast, without Instagram. So social media has its ugliness, but it also has a lot of beauty. The reason I'm saying all this is because I believe this is going to be my last episode. Um, I don't know if that's forever, but it seems like the right move right now that's all i can say for now um it it just seems like life is taking me in a different direction maybe i'll make an episode about what that means in the future but for now it just seems like the right move to um close this chapter yeah that's all i'm gonna say for now and then maybe i'll come back and explain what I'm thinking, what's going through my mind and body and soul. I think I need a little bit more time to process before I do that. So anyways, let's go into the episode. In this episode, I meant to release this before I did the Albanian American Women's event, um, but so much was going on before, during, after, and now feels like the right time. But In this episode, I speak to Anna Gersh. She was one of the guest speakers at the Albanian American Women's Healing Summit. She, before I did the event, I did a session with her and it was really beautiful. I swear, I I don't know why it was as powerful as it was, um, but... Ever since then, I feel like there was a shift in me and I don't know, I just, she, she doesn't have like this curriculum or this like strict way of doing things. She kind of just goes with the flow, follows her soul and like helps you with what you need. So I decided to not only bring her on as a last minute guest, at the event, but also to interview her and kind of get to know Anna and what in her life led her to where she is today being a trauma coach. So yes, yeah, she's a trauma coach and she is Albanian, obviously. And she kind of talks about her experience growing up with strict Albanian parents, but still like living her life the way that felt true to her. So she kind of danced to the beat of her own drum. She moved in with her boyfriend at 19 and he wasn't Albanian and she just did the things that felt right to her even though her family, you know, wasn't happy about it at the time. Um, She also moved to India to live in an ashram with her boyfriend at the time who's now her husband 
and she talks about all the stuff that she learned and how that experience with gurus and just living in India in general and all that experience, what it taught her and how it led her to where she is today, helping people with their trauma and triggers. Um, We also talk about, I don't even know how we got on this, but it's one of my favorite subjects. So triggers in relationship. And she also goes into a little bit more what she offers today as a trauma coach. So I'm not going to give away everything. I need to just hear it from her. So let's just get into it. Hi, Anna. Hi, Chris. How are you? I am great. Excited to learn about your story. It is a story. I've heard like little bits and pieces and I didn't want you to tell me more because I wanted to hear it with the audience, kind of with the audience. Um, But I guess I'll give just a little just a little background. Um, I don't know how we found each other. We found each other on social media. And I saw your um, content and I was like, all right, this is interesting. She seems legit. And then I don't remember if you messaged me because the Albanian American women's event was going around. Mm-hmm. But um, you... I asked you, I was like, are you Albanian? Because your last name was Gersh. Is that how you pronounce it? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was like, are you Albanian? You're like, yeah. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. So then you invited me in for a a session. Mm -hmm. And that session like was extremely, extremely powerful for me. And I knew after that, like I I knew I was going to ask you to be on my podcast, but I just wanted that like solidified last minute thing and that was it um but yeah thank you for joining thanks for having me this is my first first podcast all right awesome well then I'm sure you'll have a lot to say I think so so let's start with what led you on this journey of like healing and growth and then sharing that with everybody else that you're sharing Hmm. All right. So actually it started with my husband. Mm. So we met in 2008 and I moved in because actually I wasn't allowed to date. Um, So I, he was my personal trainer. We met at the gym and he- Wait, where? Where did you grow up? Sorry. I grew up in Chicago. Okay. So I- immigrated from Albania to Chicago when I was five years old. And so um, lived lived here my whole life, never lived anywhere else. So we, um, yeah, so we met at a gym and I had never been worked, like I never worked out in my life. I actually hate working out, um, but that's a whole different podcast. Anyway, <laughs> Um, I was like, I'm going to hurt myself. I need a personal trainer because I don't know what I'm doing. I don't even know how to use these machines. I don't even know how to turn on a treadmill. So I hired, (laughs) I hired a personal trainer and, um, I was like, whoa, he's hot. (laughs) And, um, but when we started working out, I just, I wasn't vibing with him. Like he, he would make me do things that I didn't want to do like burpees, which are disgusting. (laughs) Um, and so 
I just, he was so harsh with me. And I was like, I don't like this vibe. Um, but I realized that I was like, I'm paying him to do this. So it's like, you know, might as well just tough it out. Um, that was the best shape I've ever been in my life. Not going to lie. Um, so he's a very good personal trainer. Anyway, we started dating long story short, we started dating, but it was like in secrecy. Nobody knew of course. And, um, but then we just weren't like, we weren't going out as much and we weren't really getting to know each other to that level of like commitment. So I was like, all right, well, I'm going to leave my house and move in with you. <laughs> so How old were that's going to happen. I was 19. Oh, shit. And so he lived with his dad and it, it was really convenient too, because like my school was 10 minutes away from him, but like 30 minutes away from my house. So <laughs> I slowly packed up my shit throughout the week. Pardon me. Can I? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> throughout the week, I like would take little bits of my clothes to his house. And then on the last day, essentially, I was like, hey, mom and dad. I'm dating somebody and he's coming over to meet you guys tonight. And then him and my husband and his dad came to meet my mom and dad. And then I was like, oh, by the way, I'm going to go live with them now because all my stuff is at their house. And so it was kind of a shock to them. Like looking back on it now, I'm (laughs) like, whoa, that must have been really traumatic for them. They didn't talk to me for a while. Um, But then again, like, what do you expect from that relationship if there's not anything you know like if you're so strict with your kid and they do that so you just like i want to back up a little bit so like (laughs) back up as much as you need your parents were strict then oh like i i couldn't even the first movie oh god this is okay So I got in a relationship with an Albanian boy at the time. (laughs) I had 14. And the reason why is because I was, my parents were so strict. I couldn't even go to a movie with friends. Like I I had no life and I'm super social. And it was just slowly starting to kill me. And then I was like, what's it going to take for me to go out? And my mom's like, to get married. And I was like, perfect. So (laughs) I kind of like jumped on the first boy that that I knew because I went to a Catholic all-girls school which is a whole different thing um because my parents were like you're gonna get a boyfriend and like we can't take you to public school so take me to public school get a boyfriend freshman year wild um and so yeah but that relationship was a shit show like controlling Mm -hmm. mom and just bit all sorts of abuse and so um I ended that when I was 18 like my junior year senior year of high school and um but my parents found out sophomore year Mm. so they knew for the duration of that period of time um what were you talking about what was the question you backed up and my parents were strict yeah so they were super strict um with me even when I did have a boyfriend like we were only allowed to see each other once a week and I could only go places with him I still couldn't see my friends 
which was kind of like, well, that's, that was the whole point of this. (laughs) And so, um, yeah, so I kind of had to go to those extremes to date my husband, my now husband. Um, but at the time we were just dating and it was funny because on our first date, I was like, you're in for a wild ride. Like you, like you don't even know. Uh-huh. Cause like we have to get married. Like, I'm just letting you know that this better end in marriage. Um, not better, but like, like I'm in it for the long haul. Like I'm not playing. Um, and he was kind of like, Oh, okay. Like, I don't think he thought that I was serious until like six months in. Anyway, flash. Okay. Flash flash forward. It's October. I moved in. And then a few months into our relationship, like I, he just wasn't happy, not with our relationship, but just in with life in general, he was having anxiety, having a lot of depressive moods, um, And I wasn't helping either because I was like this very masculine go-getter hustler type of girl. Like it's either my way or the highway. Like Mm -hmm. I didn't even, there was no compromise. Um, And I remember just like one day he was like, I'm going to go to India like next week. (laughs) And I was like, it wasn't like that, but there's a lot of backstory, but kind of like to make a sh- long story short. And I was like, what do you mean you're going to go to India? And he's like, yeah, I, I'm like done with personal training. I need like a different culture. Like I need something else and none of this is working. Um, So I'm going to go to India. And I was like, okay, cool. Like when I'm thinking he's going to go for a week, two weeks, he went for six months and, um, <laughs> Was he planning to go for six months or like he just decided, okay, I'm going to stay longer. I'm going to stay longer. And you guys. No, no, no. At the get go, he was going to stay for six months. Oh, yeah. So, um, but this all happened within like a span of a week. So there was like, wow, there was not a lot of time to even process anyway, process. Yeah. So um, he went for six months and when he came back, I saw like a different man, like he was just a change, but it was really strange because he wouldn't tell me the name of the ashram that he was going to study at until after he came back. And I was like, why wouldn't, why don't you tell me like the name of it? And he's like, because it's Tantra. And if I tell you Tantra, you're going to Google Tantra and it's like sex is going to come up. (laughs) And I was like, oh, okay. Like, but then when he was explaining to me what Tantra is and like, you know, the philosophy and all of that, then I understood better. So it was, it was probably helpful on his end not to tell me. Um, But anyway, yeah, he went for six months and I saw the change in him. And then I was like, well, he's like, there's so much to learn. I'm going to go back when he came. Were you guys Um, in contact the whole time? Yeah. 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 Like we would, um, not zoom cause it wasn't zoom, but we would Skype every day, right. um, and talk every day. It was a 12 hour difference. And at that time I was working two jobs and going to school. Mm-hmm. So it was like, even if he was here, I wouldn't really have a lot of time to talk to him anyways. So, and then he came back and I was like, well, 
I kind of want to go with you, you know, because like, if you're going to go back for six months, like, I kind of want to know what you're studying and like, I want to be involved, you know, like we're dating. Um, so I, it, the season at the ashram starts in September because June through August is essentially monsoon. So the school closes, everything is kind of closed. Um, so but that's also when college semester starts. So I was like, let me take that semester off and I'll come with you and you can stay an additional three months and I'll start my semester in January. So I went with him and we, it was great. Like we, we watched a lot of South Park because <laughs> my nervous system was so like fried from all the years of just constant stress of fight or flight of this like go-getter, I couldn't even relax. Like I couldn't do asanas. Mm. Um, It was so difficult for me. And the asanas are three hours. Like the afternoon class is a three hour long class. Um, And I was just like, I couldn't even sit 45 minutes. Um, Some people can't even sit for five minutes in stillness. Yeah. Yeah, it was intense, but three hours is a really long class. It took me a very long time to actually be able to like do the whole class because I would fall asleep in between or I would just like be so mentally involved in my thoughts that I would like be like, oh my God, I ha- I've skipped like four asanas. Anyway, story for a different day, but I like fell in love with tantra fell in love with the guru's teachings that i like i also apply them to my life and then when i came back like i noticed the shift in me kind of a, how i interacted with um just day-to-day western life because it's very different than day-to-day eastern life um i noticed the disconnect between god and everyday life in the West and in the East, it's like everywhere you go, there's a temple. There's like, you smell the incense, you hear the bells, like you hear church bells, you hear mosque prayer, like you're engulfed in God. And it just, it, it, I don't know. There's a different like spirit about it. And, um, and then he stayed an additional three months and then I, went back to school and I was like, okay, listen, because he was like, I want to study long-term. Like I want to be a long-term student, which means like a good, like five to 10 years of study. And I was like, yo, but like, we need to make money first of all. And we have like a life that we need to create. Like, are we going to get married or blah, blah, blah. And so I came back, finished school he continued to go back and back and back and back until um, we decided that we were going to get married. We were going to work our butts off for a whole year, save as much money as we could because we still lived with his dad at this point. And then we were going to go for like a long, continuous amount of time. Like we didn't know what it was because we didn't know how much money we were going to save. But so we did that. We got married Uh, We worked for a year. We sold everything we had. Like our life was condensed to two suitcases and we bounced 
And we lived in India for like close to three years. But then we traveled because you have to leave India every six months. So Mm. we traveled throughout throughout Asia. Wow. So that's how my journey started. It actually started with my husband. Yeah. Um, And when you say that you guys came back and you were different, in what ways did you feel like you changed? Well... In a lot of ways, it makes you, number one, humble, right? Because you see so many different aspects of life. Um, You see, and it's not like, it's not the same as you see on Nat Geo, right? Like, oh, India has all these like poor kids. Yes, the kids are poor. But what they don't show you is the temples that feed thousands of people on the daily Everybody has access to rice and dal, which is lentils. The basic meal is always covered for pretty much everybody if they just go to a temple. Um, And it just, it brings about this like sense of humanity that I don't think you would get unless you're engulfed in the day-to-day life. Um. And then it also brings about this like non-judgmental way of looking at a human being because Mm -hmm. it just opens your eyes to like the level of humanity, but also the level of suffering that people have, right? Like that there's Mm -hmm. no scale. It's just like you can, you can keep going on the level of suffering, but you can also keep going on the level of, you know, humanity too. And yeah. I think that it does change you in that aspect. As far as my inner journey, it changed me in ways that I can look back now and be like, okay, like I had an extreme phobia of spiders. Like if I saw a spider from like across the room, I would scream at Alex to go kill it. Um, And then you're in India and you literally are surrounded by all sorts of bugs, all sorts of sounds, all sorts of like uncomfortableness, right? The first, I remember this, this is an interesting story. The first like few nights um, I was there, we had to, whenever we would eat dinner, we had to go around the back of the building and go to this like, like um, sink that it was like made out of stone. It was like encased in stone. And like, that's where we would wash our dishes And I remember washing my dish and I felt like just this, like something crawl over like my toes. And I knew that it was big and it was scary and I didn't want to look down. So I kind of just froze and I waited for the sensation to go away. And then I looked down and it was one of those like huge centipedes. Oh my God. (laughs) That just like was, yeah. So I literally like after that happened, I was like, like screaming in terror and there was a lecture going on and I like, you know, and the guru just like laughed. Um, I can't remember what he said to me. I have to ask my husband, but he did say something funny. Um, but after that, it was kind of weird because I just, I, I didn't have a fear of it anymore because I lost that control that I needed to have 
over my environment because I was no longer in control. I've realized that like, what are you controlling? Like you can't control literally anything. Um, And so, yeah, I, I lost that fear. Like I don't have a fear of bugs or spiders or anything like that anymore. Um, And yeah, as far as my own inner journey, it just, it, that control aspect, I mean, I still have a bit of it because as a mom with a son who has the same exact attitude as I do, <laughs> it's just a constant reminder of like, let go, let go, let go, let go, let go, let go. Um, and so, uh, but but I think that in the beginning, it was definitely definitely something that I worked on a lot in India. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like, um, I kind of want to swing back a little bit to your relationship with your family and like your, the Albanian culture. And like, if you feel like in this time that you were doing your healing and going to India and, you know, the relationship like did your relationship with your family kind of get better stay the same or what about the culture like do you still talk to people in the culture like what what happened from there so when i my when i told my parents that i was going to india first of all when they found out that my husband was going to india they were just shocked like, how could he leave for six months? How could you, I remember that specifically, how could you let him go to India? And I was like, what do you mean? Like, he's a different person. Like, I can't just be like, you have to stay here. Like, he's an adult, you know? Um, And then when I told him that I was going, that we were going the first time, the three months that I stayed, they're like, crazy like what do you need in India like people come here from India like you know because my dad had clients you know my dad's a contractor so like and I was like listen everybody who migrates from their country isn't gonna say that their country is better than America like nobody's gonna say that of course they're gonna say like oh it's dirty it's loud like what does she want to do there blah 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 I was like but I need to go and do this like I want to travel I want to be with my boyfriend my fiance at the time and so um that's another thing when I left my house I told them that I was engaged and I bought a fake ring to tell them that I was engaged it was like a fake engagement and um we weren't actually engaged but I just told them that I was anyway um so yeah they it was not good. Like they didn't approve of it. Um, but I've been so stubborn my whole life with them that like, they just knew that they couldn't do anything. Like I wasn't living in their house anymore. I wasn't kind of under their thumb. So it's like, what, there's no consequence for me going. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I would just talk to my mom and she'd be like, what are you guys learning there? And I was like, yoga. And she's like, oh, maybe this for be it. Like, <laughs> your butt in the air. And I'm like, okay, mom. <laughs> sure. Um, but it's, it's, it's funny because it kind of sheds light on the ignorance of 
how some people view different cultures, different, and, and my degree, my background's in anthropology. So like that immersion in a different culture was like right up my alley. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's funny because even, even now that I do my trauma coaching, I still see remnants of people having this like almost ignorant way of viewing their own culture. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, Oh, my parents are so racist. Are they racist? Like, let's, let, do they really hate somebody because of the color of their skin or are they ignorant in their culture? Right. There's a huge difference there. And I think that it was made very clear to me that the amount of ignorance and what I said to my mom one time, I was like, I think you're just ignorant. And then she's like, oh, you're calling me ignorant. And I was like, it's not an insult. It just means you don't know. You know, but like it's such when you say it in Albanian and like you you translate it in Albanian, it's such like a insult. It's, it's like a terrible insult to call somebody ignorant. Um, Even in English, yeah, it sounds like a bad. It sounds like an insult. Yeah, and I don't know why it became an insult because we're all ignorant. Like compared to God, you're ignorant. <laughs> you don't know shit. In like, a lot of ways, we are. Everyone yeah. is in their own way and right. in different ways. We all are. I mean, even Einstein, we can say, is ignorant in some kind of aspect, right? And we we assume that he's really smart. So I heard he had very stinky feet. <laughs> like, he would just put them on the desk to, like, ward people off. <sighs> anyway. um, But, yeah, so... When, uh, that that was made very apparent when I went over there. I'm like, whoa, like you don't know anything unless you live here or there or anywhere for a while and you get really immersed in the culture. And the same thing with trauma healing, I think, too. Like we can kind of link the two. Like unless I did a post the other day, of, unless your therapist or your coach or whatever has gone through that work themselves, mm -hmm. it's almost impossible to connect because you, you're not experiencing it for yourself. It's like, if I told you how an orange tastes, instead of just giving you an orange, like what, you could see the difference, right? And I could describe it to you. Oh, it's juicy. It's tangy, whatever. But unless I give you an orange, you're not going to know, right? It's the same thing with like your inner journey. Unless you go through it yourself and like you cry those tears and you like pick yourself back up, you're not going to know how to lead somebody through that. Yeah. Like you, you can't, you can like read a book about what an orange tastes like. But if you've never tasted the orange and ate the orange yourself, you're going to have a hard time really explaining what it tastes yeah. like. And that's a, kind of the same thing that our guru told us about asanas, right? Like you can't possibly teach a class in yoga unless you've experienced yoga yourself, mm -hmm. right? Unless you are on that mat and you do the breathing and you do the bandhas and you do the pranayamas and all of that like if you don't have that experience you can't possibly teach it to somebody else mm -hmm. and I think that that's so like 
relevant for every aspect of life, right? Yeah. Very true. Um, so you still talk to your parents, everything's yeah. good with your parents. What about the Albanian culture? Do you feel like you've stayed connected to it? You've drifted? Where do you feel like you are with that? I've definitely tried to make amends with the Albanian culture. I I drifted pretty heavily from the Albanian community um, after I separated with my first boyfriend because I guess it was the ignorance. I guess it was that like drama that I was just so fed up with. I'm like, things can be really simple if people would just mind their own business, right? Mm -hmm. If you just like, just like focus on your own problems, you know, and not worry about anybody else's, it would just make your life so much easier. And it was such a hard, like, I don't know, it was just such a hard pill for me to swallow that like, there were Albanians out there that actually did that, you know, like actually mind minded their own mm -hmm. business and like, didn't get involved in people's lives and just kind of let people be. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that that's true for the older generation, but I think our generation is slowly changing that. For sure. Um, and I also wasn't exposed to many people outside of my own family that had kids our, our age that we interacted with on a daily or on a weekly or on a monthly. So it was very hard for me to like make those connections when I was like, I wasn't allowed to go anywhere. I wasn't allowed to do anything. So, um, and then I went to a Catholic all girls school. And so there wasn't many Albanian. Well, I think there wasn't any Albanians actually. I was mm -hmm. the only Albanian in school. Um, so it's not like you can make clubs or groups or whatever yeah, of course. Um, that my other cousins were exposed to because they went to public schools and there were Albanians there. So, yeah, I think that I'm trying to now make a circle back to the culture because there are beautiful things about our culture. It's not just all doom and gloom. And we have such a long history um, that is really beautiful. Yeah. And it's sad that I mean, I speak. I speak, write it and read it. So, um, you know, I'm very much into the culture, even though I came here when I was five and my son also speaks it now. My son's almost That's six. So, so crazy. That's yeah, awesome. He speaks it. I'm so happy that he, he learned, um, because my husband is American, so I'm constantly speaking English, mm -hmm. but it was because of my mom who would come oh, and watch him yeah. on Mondays. Like she would just speak to him straight in Albanian. And uh, he picked it up. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, I went through that too. Yeah. I really like separated from the culture for a while. And like, I think the only thing that really kept me connected to it was like cousins. Yeah. And then um, my sister would bring different Albanians into my life. Um, oh, and there was something that really mended it. I was working on a documentary with someone that I met in New York hmm. and it was talking about the um, grappling between the Albanian and American culture and the struggles that men hmm. and women in our culture were dealing with. And as I was listening to them and, and working on this documentary, I was just like, 
healing all of the wounds like without even that wasn't my intention when the girl asked me to do it I was like oh I don't know if I trust her I don't know you know like those are the things that would come up for me when it came to any other Albanian woman Mm. I didn't feel like I could trust them I didn't feel like we would see eye to eye or we would get each other but then when Mm -hmm. I met her she was very similar to me in the sense that she like lived a very crazy life and she had experienced all these different things that a lot of the Albanians that I grew up with or knew weren't into. Yeah, I mean, I I get that. So like you moving to India, that's like one thing, you know, I was interested in traveling and like rock music and just like different, just different things. Like I, I didn't my goal in life wasn't like to get married and there's nothing wrong with that goal. It just wasn't mine. And that's what I was around. Yeah. Right. So then when I met her, she was like so similar to me in a lot of ways. And I was like, wait, there's more of you out there. So then as we were doing the documentary, these different, like I was learning about the history and why we were the way we were and all this stuff was just coming up. And I was like, whoa, and it started to slowly mend my relationship yeah. with the culture. Then I started meeting people on Instagram, like you yeah. and all these different women that were doing the same things and like interested in growth and connection. And that's when it started to really change for me. I think that our generation, I don't know how old you are, but I'm 35. And I think the generation below 35 is just a whole different generation yeah um you know because right so I just think that like there was a click that was like this isn't working right like and and you're right like we are kind of this in-between culture where it's like I came here when I was five so I can't say that I'm fully American because I still speak right and and you know read my own language so like when I go back I'm immersed in that culture like I feel home when Mm -hmm. I go back to Albania when I'm here but I also feel home here too right because I have an idea of American culture as well and so it's like this duality right and and I feel like our generation is literally in the middle because we're no longer some most of us are no longer married to Albanians. You know, most of us are trying to break those generational curses. So it's like it's such a different. It's such a weird place to be. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, um, but I, also a really exciting place to be because you can do is. whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> that's what. It, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like it's like I think we grew up at least not. I did. And a lot that I've spoken to have grown up thinking like, I don't belong anywhere because I'm Mm -hmm. too Albanian for the Americans and too American for the Albanians. And like, maybe other people are making us feel that way, but that's not the truth. Like you're both and it's okay to feel at home in both cultures. Mm -hmm. You don't have to choose one or the other. And that's, I think, I think you realize that when you travel that like we're all part of a human race. Yeah. Like there's so much commonality. You would be shocked. Like mm-hmm. we have so much more in common than we do not in common. So like 
I think traveling opens up your eyes to that commonality where you do feel at home anywhere. Like I can literally go anywhere now and I'm like, oh, that's so cool. Like they do that too. And part of part of learning Tantra is that love pervades everything. Mm-hmm. And wherever you go, you will find love and you will find that connection and you will find that similarity. And so that is human. That's all, being part of a human race. And I think that sometimes the Albanian culture forgets that they're part of the human race. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. that like, we're like this different species, but no, actually we're all human. I think maybe because of our history and being bullied by all these other countries and not like fighting for our identity is like Mm -hmm. made Albanians become like patriotic prideful but like extremely prideful and maybe to their own detriment (laughs) but agreed um, yeah um I don't know where I was gonna go with that but I feel like now, as you were saying, like we're heading in the right direction now. People are starting to see, like they're starting to talk about it and understand the ways that we need growth. Mm -hmm. Accepting, you know, like, yeah, we have amazing things and we can be prideful, but you also need to highlight the parts that need work. Yeah, exactly. Yes. I think... And I think that that's what our generation is pretty good at. Like, Mm -hmm. we're really good at saying, like, yeah, we love our burek and our kos, but, like, also the shame and the guilt can kind of go, you know? And so, um, yeah, I think that we are on the up of changing Albanian culture for keeping the good and kind of tossing the bad. But, you know... Something that was interesting that came up with one of my Albanian clients, actually, I was having this conversation with her and she's like, I just can't get to the root of like why I get so angry when I go back, back home and like, everybody's telling me what to do. Like, they're telling me, you know, to do this and to do that because she's in a different, like, she does crypto. So it's, it's a very different, like, um, lifestyle, I guess, then would be normal or accepted. And so um, she would get a lot of criticism. And I'm like, but that's how they connect. Like, you're taking away the only thing that they know how to connect with, which is drama. Because when we went through communism, we had no religion, right? You had no holidays besides the holidays that were given to you right so when you take away god from that picture and you take away religion and you take away things that kind of meshed people in in a in a deeper way what are you left with you're left with drama you're left with essentially the the very superficial aspects of how people connect not only that communism turned people into spies so like Mm. you didn't know if your neighbor was going to spy on you because you had a coke can like sitting in your fridge right you didn't know if like 
that uncle that owed you money isn't going to go and spy on you that like you're talking about something that happened in Italy, right? So like it made people so distrustful of the people around them that the only way that they knew how to connect with people was to talk about other people. Mm. And that stuck. I feel like that really stuck with the Albanian culture of like, that's the only way that like my grandma will connect with me is like talking about other people in the family or talking about people that I don't even know back in Albania. So like, it's part of the culture. And if it bothers you, just put a boundary. Like, I don't really care about what happened to Chamila. Like, you know, it's not my life. Common thing in other cultures too. I've seen it in the, I've been immersed in Italian culture and I've seen it there too. Even in like the Greek, it's But they also went through communism. Yeah. It's crazy. So, you know, we had like this, this kind of just stripped of our our deeper understanding of life like you couldn't connect with people on a deeper level because mm-hmm. when you think about religion and when you think about god forget religion organized religion but when you think about the belief of god like communism even changed people's names like if your name resembled a, a aspect of religion you had to change your name to something more modern. So if like you wanted to name your kid, like, I don't know, Ramadan or something like that, Ram- Ramiz or something like that, like you couldn't. So that's why you notice like, even for my mom's generation, like there's so many Albanas because yeah. of that like change. Like if you went to go register your kid and you were wanting to name them something that was remotely religious, it wasn't allowed. Like there was a blacklist of names. So when you get to that level of control and you take away God, you're only left with just petty shit to talk about. And that is what's unfortunately kind of like the remnants. All all of this is my opinion, by the way. This is not something that I've kind of like researched or read. This is all just like kind of what I've gathered from the culture. Um, and so, Yeah. And I really think that that made such a huge impact on how we connect with the older older generation. Mm-hmm. You just kind of have to like, just take it with a grain of salt that that's the only way that they know how to connect with you. Yeah. And I think we're learning to change that now that connection really needs vulnerability. And that's something that that generation really avoided because of what you spoke about earlier. Like, are they betraying me? They're going to betray me. If I'm vulnerable, then I'm putting myself in danger. 100%. And that's a lot of, uh, that's a big issue with a lot of people in, that I work with in general too. Mm-hmm. That vulnerability adds a basis of trust. Like you can't be vulnerable with somebody you don't trust. Right. It's It's human nature. Like, you know, when we were growing up in the wilderness, you had to trust the people around you um, in order to be vulnerable, in order to go hunt, in order to go, you know, look for food, all of that stuff. You had to trust the people around you. Your life depended on it. Um, So, yeah, you're right that that vulnerability is really hard for that generation because of the lack of trust. Mm -hmm. Like it's so it's so much so that like 
I've seen it and heard it often where Albanian women are like, um, no, I'm not going to work with an Albanian therapist. I don't want to tell them about what I'm dealing with. Sure. Because they're going to go and tell somebody. Yeah. There's yeah. like such a, um, a fear of that person, like telling everyone that what their deepest, darkest secrets. And like, I don't think you have like Americans being like, oh, I'm not going to go to that person because they're going to, I mean, I'm sure there, there are people who do fear like, oh, I don't want to tell my deepest, darkest secrets to anyone, but like in the Albanian community, because it's smaller, it's like. And I also think it's one dom like denominational Americans are so like they're mixed, right? Cause there's, yeah. there's such a different, if you're considering yourself American, you can be so many generations right. removed from immigrants. Right. So it's like such a mesh. But when you say you're Albanian yeah. or whatever, like, or Balkan in any way, like, you know, that both parents come from that yes. lineage and like, somebody's cousin is going to know somebody's yes, cousin and exactly blah 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 so i think that it's traceable yeah right when it's when you're american you're so removed from that like immigrant grandfather great-grandfather that migrated here that's like you don't really have any ties right. but with us there is and mm. like that mistrust that we have of each other then can lead back to that kind of like, oh, well, he, she might know somebody that I know. And like, how do I trust her that she's not going to say anything? Mm. Um, and for a long time, I actually didn't work with Albanian clients because of that. Mm. Like I personally would choose not to work with Albanian clients like that because I, I felt that there was a, a judgment on their end and there's no healing that can happen. So I would much rather have them healed than to be my clients. Like no girlfriend, go find somebody that you're comfortable with. Yeah. Um. So now that you're working with triggers and trauma specifically, like how mm -hmm. did that happen? How did you get into that? Oh yeah, that's right. Um. So flash forward or fast forward from India. So we came back. We were there for like three years. I got a job working because um, I oh, it's funny because I went to college for anthropology because the psych department had one class that I needed and it was like a two year waiting list and it would have pushed back my graduation. So I was like, fuck that. Um, so on my way out of the psych department, I saw the anthropology department and I was like, I went in and I talked to the head of department. I was like, Hey, you know, what are some classes? Like, what do the classes look like? And it was so cool. Like there was, you know, human evolution and there was a, um, there was a forensics class. So I was like super into that. And I was like, all right, sign me up. So that's how I changed my major in school, which my parents absolutely hated. Um, and uh and very much disapproved of my parent my dad sometimes still tells people that i don't have a college degree because he doesn't know how to say anthropology and he doesn't wow. know what it is <laughs> so so like it's really funny but um psychology was like my first love like i i wanted to be um a child psychologist and work as a counselor in schools um 
And thank God I didn't do that because now looking back on it, like I would not have been happy in a school environment, but um, it was always part of my human just DNA that I wanted to know more about somebody. Like I I wanted to get down to the root of like who they were. All my relationships were just from the get-go, like, let me get to know you, Um, which is also trauma response. But (laughs) it was, you know, I have a tattoo that says, I see you. Mm -hmm. And on the side of my rib cage, because that's how deep, like I wanted to see you. Mm -hmm. And um, anyway, when I couldn't do psych, um, I was like, you know what? Like, I'm going to have kids one day. And for me to go into that career, like so deep, when I have kids, I'm going to feel terrible leaving that job that I worked so hard to get to, to be a stay-at-home mom. Mm. So I never really, like that was my own personal way of viewing it. So I never really like went back to get a master's or anything like that. So when we came back from India, I was like, I'm just going to get a job where it's got like great benefits. So I got a job working for American Airlines. Mm. And I worked for American Airlines because you even working part time, you get to fly for free anywhere. And so my husband and I traveled a lot. Um, And at the same time, we were trying to get pregnant. So um, I get pregnant. I, I went back to work for six months because uh, at when my son was six months, because just the benefit, we were so used to like flying for free. It was really hard to give up, mm-hmm. um, but I was only working like five hours at, you know, five days a week, five hours. So not a lot. And it was while he was sleeping at night. And then as, as we were working with my coworkers, like everybody would always come to me for advice, right? Because I would be like, well, you know, maybe that's like from your past, like maybe that's from your childhood, you know, like a lot of these issues stem from childhood. And because I had the background in Tantra and the background and that kind of philosophy, it was easy for me to kind of see where those patterns lie. Mm. And so that kind of just, that was just like me being a friend. And then we get to 2020 and the world goes up in flames. Um, And so many people were having mental health issues. Um, and one of my very distant cousins reaches out to me because she was having a little bit of a crisis and I kind of guided her with it. And I was like, Hey, do you want to talk like on the regular about this? Because if you just talk to me like once every six months, you like, you're not going to get help. Like you're not going to, you know, get to the bottom of this. She was a little reluctant at first, but then she kind of opened up and she was like, okay, but she's like, you have to take some money. So I was like, whatever, give me whatever you want. So like, that's how it started. Um, so it started with her and then her sister. And then, um, one of my friends from work recommended her friend. And then from there grew everybody, like it just grew organically. Like people were just contacting me from like word of mouth saying like, Hey, I heard, that you talk to people. I was like, I do talk to people. (laughs) And so um, that's how it grew. And then my Instagram was totally different. Like if you scroll all the way down, it's all food and lifestyle and like raising kids and all of that. 
And then um, I, my clientele actually grew to the point where I was like, all right, I'm actually full. Like my, I couldn't take any more clients. Um, and then one of my clients posted on her Instagram and she has a pretty big account. And then I just uh, like my waiting list was like 130 people. So I was like, I felt terrible, um, like saying no and turning those people down. So I came up with a system of like these one time sessions where like we get to the bottom of it. And I realized that if you figure out people's triggers, you can kind of trace back the trauma, mm. right? Um, and that's how that like specificity came about. Like that's how I kind of geared towards that because I had what an hour, two hours with this person, and we had to cover a lot of fears and a lot of trauma. And how could you do that? unless you figure out the triggers. Mm -hmm. So it was really a way of me kind of condensing all of that into something where I could offer it to you on a silver platter and be like, go now, <laughs> like mm -hmm. go figure out these triggers and like, you know, work on that root cause. So if someone comes to you and they're like, I really get triggered whenever my husband doesn't do the dishes. It like pisses me off to like my core. Yeah. Or like I get really triggered when someone passes me on the, when I'm driving and they like cut me off. Like it really takes me to this level of anger that I don't understand. Sure. Yeah. Then you help them figure out what. Well, first of all, like, yeah, we could take the dishes, right? Like, are you overstimulated when the dishes are there, right? Are you um, reminded of a time that you were scolded as a child when there was dishes in the sink, right? Are you um, just overwhelmed with the amount of work that you have to do and you are not having communication with your partner of what is expected, right? It, there's so there's so many different aspects that can go, are you really controlling? And mm -hmm. you, your husband went and washed the dishes a few times and you said, no, I don't like it done this way. And then he stopped doing it. You know, it never is about the thing. It's always about you because you're the one being triggered. Your nervous system is telling you that something's not right. And we just have to figure out what that, what is not right about that situation. Right. And that could be so many things. So that's kind of like the direction that we go in. Right. And it could be multiple things and it could kind of spread out like, a, like the roots of a tree. Um, but it still always has like one kind of one direction where it's like, oh, yeah, I'm controlling. And you're right. Like it is because of that. And then every time you see that situation come up, you're reminded of what I said because mm -hmm. we've talked about it. And we've it's so it's very different from therapy because it's we can get to the bottom of that trigger because there's no time limit. Right. And um, that's kind of really hard to do in therapy because you're you, in therapy, you're usually talking about the week and, you know, what kind Anything. of, right. To some degree. 
Exactly. I mean, there's all different types of therapy, but if it's sure. just talk therapy, then it ends up being a venting session, at least from my own experience. But right. um, something you said was it's about you. And I think people have a really hard time hmm. accepting that. That sure yeah, like there are certain things that other people do that will elicit a response from you. But the way that you respond is about you. Right. Or even the fact that it's bothering you is about you. Right. Like, you know, because everything is subconscious. Everything. Like, you think that you're actually living your life. You're not. Everything is recorded in the subconscious. And the subconscious is actually making those decisions for you. Like, mm-hmm. even if something that your husband is bothering you is about you, because you're the one that chose that man to be with, why did subconsciously you choose that man to be with? <laughs> you know, what about him made him safe? What about him made him uncomfortable? Mm-hmm. Right? Subconsciously, something is happening. And so you're being triggered by something that you did. Not something, something that... that's un unfinished or unprocessed in you. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. Yep. And then you just kind of have to deal with the consequences because once you're awake, right, and you're kind of noticing those things where it's like, I've been married 40 years, like now what, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that's the part. There's where... also that too. Yeah when you wake up and you're conscious and you're like, okay, there's there's moments where you have to really decide to be present and be like, okay, this is really triggering me. I'm feeling a lot of anger about the dishes in the sink right now. And my impulse usually is to yell at him or be passive aggressive and start like doing the dishes really angrily and like slamming things. Right. Or you can in that conscious moment decide to do something different to maybe sit down and have a talk with them or to under be more understanding of why maybe they didn't do the dishes or why they did or don't or don't just be like I'm fucking angry right now we'll talk about it when I'm more calm and I think that a lot of people are so afraid to be angry but mm-hmm. it's such a healthy it's such a healthy outlet to say that I'm angry I'm angry at the situation. I'm not angry at you as a person because that's very important because when we're triggered, we think that we're angry at the person. But no, you love that person. You just are angry at something that that person did. So like you have to separate the person and the problem. Mm -hmm. And then you attack the problem together. You don't attack each other. Right. I think that that's so important when you're dealing with couples because it's such a it's an ego thing. Like we all have this like huge ego that if, if somebody says that they're angry, all of a sudden we feel like we were like, we're being blamed. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's like, no, actually that person has every right to be angry. They're just triggered. Um, So just let them be angry and then we'll come back to it. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, you can, you can, it's really difficult when you're being triggered to not be angry or sad or want to run away. So that's okay, right? When you're being triggered. The problem is, is that you need to just take a step back and feel those feelings alone. Mm-hmm. 
and not take them out on the person because that's not okay. Yeah. That's something that I recently learned in our relationship or my relationship is to take a step back because if we are both heightened emotionally and we discuss the thing now, it's gonna, it's not gonna turn out pretty. So we have to take time separate to like go cool down in whatever way works for each of us and then come back when we're ready. Because if we come back too early, it'll still be heightened and activated conversation. And that's because of the inner critic. Because when you're, when you're away, you're thinking like this motherfucker, like he doesn't give a (laughs) fuck about what I'm thinking. He doesn't give a shit about what I've told him. Like blah, 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 blah. Right. Mm -hmm. That inner thought in your head is fueling all of that. Yeah. So when you walk away from that situation, your inner dialogue has to be better in mm. order for you to calm down. Yeah. Because if that inner Go ahead, sorry. No, no worries. If that inner dialogue keeps like going, there's it you're not going to calm down for hours. Right. That has that's the part that has to change. When you cool down, you say like, "Okay, I love him." I'm angry right now at this action, but I know that he's a good person and he didn't mean mm-hmm. to leave the dishes in the sink to piss me off. Right. Like it's not a action with maliciousness behind it. Right. I think that's where we kind of go wrong sometimes too. We think that other people's behavior is about us when it's about them. Yeah, it's not personal. Do not take anything personal in life. Nothing is personal. Yeah. I think that's a lot of people's where where they get kind of tied up. Oh, yeah. Very often, especially mm-hmm. in relationships, 100%. romantic relationships. 100%. But we could talk about this forever. I could at least. This is like one of my favorite subjects ever. But um. I kind of want to leave this off with asking you one more question because we talked about the India and then I wanted to talk about that, the Albanian part, and then some of the trigger stuff. Um, What I want to ask you is if you have any advice for anyone who's listening that is just now starting their journey and they're starting to notice like, okay, I'm not happy with the way that I'm living my life. I'm noticing I'm getting very triggered very easily and I want to start this path of like growth and change and like what is some kind of advice you would give that person? So it's very difficult to go on that path alone because Mm -hmm. if you would like to go on that path alone, that means that you would have have to see something that you can't already see right mm-hmm. because if you need an outsider to point out where some of your weaknesses are um and that's because we have a self-preserving method to our the way that our brain works right because we can say we can get so defensive about all the things that are wrong mm-hmm. that it it can take you years to unpack what you can unpack with a therapist for a week and so the thing that I would tell somebody who is on this journey is start maybe for a whole week or a whole month, start writing down where those triggers are and what triggers them. For example, I got angry today when the guy caught me off, Mm -hmm. right? 
where did I feel that anger? Where, where in my body did I feel that anger? Um, what did I do after? Mm-hmm. And then how did the day go? Right. So journal all of these thoughts for a week or a month, whatever's easiest. And then when you go to therapy, you have kind of a list of things to work. But working at that list alone is like trying to climb Everest without like a, a mm-hmm. an oxygen tank because you're it's so difficult for you to get out of your own brain and see yourself in that light right in in this in this non-judgmental light mm. um and that is because we do see ourselves as these perfect beings right it's kind of hard to judge yourself and be like you know maybe i'm mad at the guy because he reminds me of my dad mhm yeah. i didn't have a good relationship with my dad yeah yeah <laughs> like it's hard to admit that you know mhm And to separate ourselves from that wounded Mm -hmm. version of ourselves. And some people are so wounded that that inner thought, that inner critic, right, is so harsh that it does not allow you to have a positive view of yourself. But if your therapist or if your coach is just like, girl, like you've been through a lot, your nervous system just relaxes, right? Mm -hmm. Because it has that validation that it needs, that safety you can't give that to yourself because, you know, you've been violated in many ways when you're traumatized, right? Mm-hmm. So it's important to have that other person to kind of co-regulate with. Mm-hmm. Um, and trauma doesn't happen alone. Trauma happens in pairs. Yes. So yes. it's important to heal in pairs. Yes. Yes. That's like so, yeah. the most beautiful thing you could have said to end this Thanks. Oh, (laughs) one more thing. It's really important to try many different therapists and many different types of therapy because many people go to one session, two sessions, like, oh, it's not working out. Oh, no. Try like as many as you need. Therapists or coaches are used to clients not vibing with them and that's totally fine. Um, You know, really find somebody that you feel safe with that doesn't judge you. Um, and that can accept you, but also be straight with you. And that's very important because if you have a therapist that beats around the bush, that your healing time is going to be extended. And, and there are therapists that do that for money. You know, there's, that's their way of making a living. Mm -hmm. Um, but you want healing to be quick and life to be long. That's what Mm -hmm. my guru would always say. Oh, I love that. Um, and you can have different healers or therapists for different seasons of your life. Sure thing. Mm-hmm. I've worked with many. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. This was okay. amazing. This was great. Thank yeah. you for having me, Chris. Yeah. Thank you so much. And I'm so excited for you to share what you're going to share for the webinar, for the workshop, for yes. the Albanian American Women's Healing Summit. Yeah, we'll be talking all about traumas and triggers. Yeah, I can't wait to hear your part. So thank you so much for joining that and for joining this and sharing everything you just shared. Appreciate you. Thank you so much, Chris.